Stan Lee, Jack Kirby, and Steve Ditko created Spider-Man, X-Men, the Fantastic Four, and the Avengers, timeless characters whose stories were retold in the modern day with the creation of the Ultimate Marvel Universe. Join us as we journey through My Ultimate Year. Welcome to my ultimate year, comic book reading club, where we're going through all of the ultimate Marvel Universe, one issue at a time, and painstakingly going through the ultimate universe. Oh, we used that, I used that word last time, and you were like, it's not painful, and I was like, oh yeah, I guess I shouldn't use that word. That's not what painstakingly means. I was right. Painstakingly just means methodically and carefully, which is true. Say methodically or carefully, then. That's a much better way to make it sound than this painful journey we want you to join no, us on. No, it's not painful. I, I'm it's just, not Exactly. Painstakingly doesn't mean that. I'm sure people were growing up. The way you like, say it, it sounds so much more painful than even the natural connotations. It's like direct. your tone, your voice, everything about it. It sounds like an, an Iron Maiden. Welcome to right? my ultimate year where we woefully drag ourselves through <laughs> the ultimate universe. We don't dislike it that much. It's pretty good. No, it's fine. <laughs> Although I will call this episode seven. The well, no, not the disillusionment of Mark Miller. The disillusionment of Zach towards Mark Miller. Oh, it took till uh, episode seven. Yeah, this is where I really started to really started to sour on that guy. Anyway, so so um, yes, so you, we are going through the entire Ultimate Universe of Marvel Comics. Yes. This started in in the year two thousand, and we are approximately up to like the two thousand three. 2004 time frame um if you want to read along with us and we would love it if you would you can find uh all the issues we're talking about in the show notes and you can also get the full list if you are a uh, patreon backer over on patreon.com slash my marvelous year which is how this show was made possible uh we yes. started the my marvelous year club where we go through earth 616 the the regular modern or not modern but you know marvel universe that started in 1961 and uh, if you want to check out that club, we would highly encourage you to do so. But the Ultimate Universe is a spinoff. So my Ultimate Year is a spinoff of that show. And uh, guess what? It's more modern. We're starting in the year 2000. It's pretty fun. If that's what you're looking for and you don't want to be mired in the 80s with us in MMY, which is where we are now, uh, then then this is a good place to to hang out. So this uh, these episodes go out to the Patreon feed first. And then six yeah. months later, they will appear on the My Ultimate Year feed. Which I've been, I, I keep meaning to ask you. Hmm. Let's just, I'm just going to put it out there. People, good people. Do you want this to be a separate feed? <laughs> I'm I mean, not, it's too late I'm not now. sold. It's either we've done it or we haven't by the time you yeah. listen to yeah, this. I don't know what you're talking about. We've but already I bought, still want to know. We sunk considerable money into new artwork specifically for it. Uh huh. It's like 20 extra bucks a month. It's not that big of a well, deal. Well, we, um, we could still use the artwork and just post it to the regular feed. I guess so. It's I just think, late. like, I don't add podcast feeds, really, almost ever. Oh, you don't Seems have, like a, like, big a ask. whole list of podcast feeds? That's, that's how most people listen to podcasts. I mean, I you have, have a, the ones like I listen a, to. Yeah. Which is just us. I only listen to us, Zach. I okay. just have my All marvelous right. year. It's the only podcast I care about. If you feel the same, please consider uh, rating and reviewing yes, on please. iTunes. Yes, yes. We would definitely need that for this apparently new show that we're going to be launching. Bold mm -hmm. decision. Bold business decision. 
from the My Marvelous Year boys. Uh, all right, less about us, more about the comics. Let's talk. So we got some good ones to talk about today. We're talking about, or some big ones, I should say. Ultimate yeah, War thank you for fixing that. issues <laughs> issues one through four. It's our first uh, real Ultimate Universe crossover event. I mean, I guess mm-hmm. not a crossover, really an Ultimate Universe event. Um, and then we got some Ultimate X Men as a follow up, and then Ultimate Spider Man as a palate cleanser. Um, we're pretty we're pretty deep into like what is the Ultimate Universe and what is the core like the like this is the culmination of kind of everything that this universe has been building to, you know. Um, so when it starts, you have the Bendis side of the Ultimate Universe launching Ultimate Spider-Man, and eventually Ultimate Fantastic Four just came in our last episode, and then you have Mark Miller launching uh, Ultimate X-Men, the Ultimates, and X-Men and Ultimates, the two Miller playgrounds, come together in Ultimate War, which is really like, what is, again, the thing I've been saying over and over is, what is the central threat to the Ultimate Universe, and like who's the big bad, and it's Magneto. Um, and that's going to stay the case for about seven or eight years. Um, you know, like, actually, really, I'll just say, like, for this first decade of the Ultimate Universe, like, Magneto is the Ultimate Universe villain. And Ultimate War is all about, uh, he has been awakened previously on Ultimate X-Men, where Professor X took him to, to like, nobody knows that Professor X captured him after Magneto um, attacked the White House and made uh, George W. Bush lick his boots. That's a mm-hmm. real thing that happened in a Marvel comic. And, uh, and Professor X has been trying to rehabilitate him. So he wiped his mind and made him believe, essentially, that he was just, like, a regular civilian and a nice guy. And somebody, uh, I believe Beast, yeah, Beast got catfished by Blob. <laughs> and the end result of that was Magneto remembers who he is. And that's where we are going into Ultimate War. Yeah, so Ultimate War, I, I guess, what, what do you think of this overall? It's four issues, yeah. and it's kind of framed as like the ultimates versus the x-men right? yeah right that's, that's kind of the the framing of it although that doesn't really kick in until like issue three or four like the the first two i think are kind of build up the things. x-men are almost not in it until issue three and four yeah they're barely present it's really kind of just like watching magneto pose a big threat and start to start to really you know uh, oh also uh did we talk about the artwork here so is- yeah so we got mark miller writing we have chris I don't know how to say this, but I like his art a lot. It's Chris Bacalo. I'm going to go with. Could be Bacalo. Could be Baklava. Could be a number of things, right? I would I love, love... I love when you don't know how to make say a name, so you're just like, all right, let me riff some uh, some funny puns off of this. To, let me <laughs> let me mock their name like an a-hole. No, it's mm-hmm. Chris Bacalo is how I've been saying it. I and uh, yeah. And I like his artwork a lot in... In Marvel Comics through the ages, um, he's pretty famously one of the co-creators of Generation X in the '90s with Scott Lobdell. Uh, he has done a lot of X-Men work. He works with Brian Michael Bendis on Earth 616 Uncanny X-Men in in later years. Um, he worked with Jason Aaron on Wolverine in the X-Men for some awesome stuff, and uh, he recently has been, I believe, doing. Um, is he doing Deadpool right now with Kelly Thompson? He might be. I, I could be off on that. <laughs> don't ask me. Uh, so he looks like he's trying to really fit into Adam Kubert's style mm. here, right? And I've looked at some of the other of his stuff. Like, I'm looking at his work right now, um, just Googling his name. And it kind of looks like he's really trying to lean into Kubert's thing. Or maybe that's the inking that's really helping that. It kind of feels like he's B-roll Adam Kubert through these mm. issues. It, you know, no offense to him. Like, his art looks great here. Like, I think he looks like a really good artist. I don't particularly like them here. With, with a few exceptions, he has some sequences that are really good. But, like, overall, the art 
also suggest the same thing I think about the general pacing and writing of this, which is yeah. like, why did this happen? It feels rushed. It feels um, the story or the artwork, the whole specifically. thing, everything Bo- about it. both. Yeah, the ult- it, it just feels kind of rushed out there without much forethought, you know, and it, it almost feels perfunctory, kind of just like, all right, let's do the Ultimates versus the X Men, and this is not something like I really had a big grand plan for. Even though it's only four issues, it just kind of feels, I don't know, flat to me. Um, and, the, and the, the pacing is less explosive and less direct than you might expect. I do agree with that. I mean, I think one of the stranger things about Ultimate War, before I get to your comments on the artwork, one of the stranger things about it is it actually kind of just feels like um, like a couple build-up issues of Ultimate X-Men spread out across four comics, you know, but you make it an event because there's a big Ultimates focus. Like, really, it's about the return of Magneto and awareness of that. And I think the cool thing the Ultimate Universe does is when when there's a Magneto-sized threat, that is a global threat. That is a bring-in shield, bring-in the Ultimates, and also the X-Men are, are working to stop him, right? Like, it's never, it's never small and contained to the X-Men universe, generally, um, once he has, you know, now that he's done the things he's done, which Magneto becomes the stand-in, essentially, for, uh, like, the post-9-11 angst that mm-hmm. is obviously very, very present in America at this time and, and even today, right? Like, Magneto is the terrorist threat that everyone is worried about, and then it becomes evil mutants as the group that can get lumped in with that, right? So, I mean, that is the, that is the very direct metaphor of of what Magneto stands for in this book. As far as the art in this, I do think one of the bigger challenges I have with um with Chris Bacalo's art is sequentially can be difficult to follow. I and think a lot of times like you can't tell what's happening in some yeah. panels. Like you look at a panel and I'm like, I don't know what this is conveying. Is that there there's a panel where so a bridge gets blown up by a bunch of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants and then later you can see, like, there's a sequence where Iron Man is pulling, like, buses out of the bay, and, like, Thor and Iron Man are putting pulling bodies out. Spider-Man is buried there? Did you notice this? No. <laughs> I don't think I did. Exactly. Like, Spider-Man's head is sticking out of the, like, muck in the mud on the side of the river, and then it, like, zooms in on his head, but, like, only if you're kind of looking for it, but it's pretty prominently in a few different panels. Yeah. I just don't know. There are several times where I'm, like... I don't know what these panels are conveying and I kind of have to read to find out and like, and I'll slow down and I'll zoom in on a panel and I'll be like, I don't know what this is. Is that a person? Is that a car? Is that just road? (laughs) You know, that's what I mean about like the whole thing just kind of feels like it feels rushed. Maybe like this just kind of like you didn't have. Well, I don't, I I don't think that's a rushed thing so much as I do think that's, that's something I feel with his art. Some it's something I've noticed before. Okay, definitely right. with his art where there's a there's an emphasis on style and sort of a kinetic rush i think of like action and movement um there's also a tendency i think to use like almost manga like zoom ins on things that that make it actually difficult to tell again like the scope of what's happening in the scene around you i don't think this is true all the time like this isn't like oh I couldn't ever tell what was happening, but I totally agree. There's a few of those sequences agree. that like sing, like the uh, the Wolverine going towards the uh, the helicopters and yeah. like, shooting out of some parking garage. That scene is broken up into all these little tiny different angles, and you know like he really likes cutting off his shots 
like part way, you know, mm-hmm. so here's like a shot of Wolverine on a motorcycle, but the top of the frame is cut right through the middle of Wolverine on the motorcycle, so you just yeah. see like him from the hips down on a motorcycle. And Which is what I like just, to see of Wolverine. I gotta admit. I'm a, hips, I'm a hips baby. down on Wolvie guy, yeah. Yeah, the, the higher up you go, the more you're just like, alright, I'm, I'm losing interest here. <laughs> so I, I can kind of see the appeal or the idea behind that, right? Like trying to do some like non-traditional framing and just giving you the important information, but often mm-hmm. I don't even know what the information is, so it doesn't suggest something. I, I kind of like the idea of that abstraction of just like a shot of his claws, a shot of like the motorcycle wheels. Yes. You know, the, the the angle behind him so you can see where he's going, you know, towards the helicopters in the distance. Like, it doesn't need always to be this kind of traditional, like, medium distance framing of everything. Well, but that can be used super when... effectively in comics, yeah. you know? Like, I I just recently re-read, or not reread. I read the first volume of Akira for the first time. And that's something mm-hmm. that happens in that a lot where it's just yep. like, oh, here's a pill. Here's, uh, here's just scenery. David Aha uses this a lot in Hawkeye. Yeah. You know, these little small panel cutouts of individual elements. This isn't quite doing that um so again like i don't want to roundly slam it there are are stylistic things here like i love the way he draws magneto's helmet as this completely impractical like like the 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 um the slenderness of magneto's actual visibility would mean Mm -hmm. he can basically just see the tip of his nose but it looks so cool it does look (laughs) very cool yeah um stuff like that i think is is awesome but as far as a fit for this book, I don't know. I, I definitely do question that. I do kind of agree with the action. And then I think, like, that's not all on the art because the storytelling pacing is also, it's kind of weird. I mean, it's not what you'd expect Ultimate War to be. And I think this is actually kind of a a trend we're going to see in Ultimate Universe events where it's like they're they're actually paced shockingly slowly for something that is limited in four issues. You know, um, like this, this issue takes a lot of buildup to get to the Ultimates versus the X-Men versus Magneto. I think, I think we're, because when you said slow, I was like, what? Slow? No, it's too fast. But I kind of know what you're saying that like, not a lot is happening as it's building up, but then it's over. I think that's like, yeah, right. <laughs> my kind of issue right. is that like, it feels rushed in that there's only four issues. And maybe if you were doing this low, this slow buildup, but it kind of just like happens, it's this big deal. And then it's done, and it just feels like not a lot happened, but also all the big stuff just kind of felt crammed in at once. Okay, so this is the year where, like, Mark Millar's style, something really, like, snapped for me, and I got really, really frustrated with him. I think I kind of put my finger on what it is. The way he writes Captain America? (laughs) Because that sucks throughout this entire issue. The way he what? I said the way he writes Captain America, because that super sucks in this series. Like, he takes that up uh, a notch. Oh yeah, Captain America's just a jerk here. Like, He's a bigoted jerk. Like Captain America and is he? So, oh, I don't I don't I didn't Well, I, I mean there's there's this through line of the Ultimates want to capture not only Magneto but the X Men mm-hmm. for aiding and abetting mm-hmm. uh yes. Magneto, right? So like Nick Fury, Captain America in particular, they really hold Charles Xavier accountable for not delivering this terrorist to them. And um and that part of it I can like that's not unbelievable right that makes sense um but then they vilify Professor X and his students right the X-Men and like kind of mutant kind you know like they so there there are some saves later Magneto attacks the ultimates like where they live and he you know beats them all up he uh, kneecaps kneecaps, uh, Pietro 
exactly. And then Cap, yeah, this part was wild because Captain America, like they're all standing there as Magneto just escaped, having like bloodied their noses, and they're like, Xavier is calling. He wants to help. He's trying to, you know, make amends, blah, blah, blah. And Captain America's like, hang up on him. He's just on the hook as Magneto is. And it's just like, really, man? Like, you have an actual threat happening right now. And, like, he just, yeah, you're right. Like, he reads just, like, his bigotry is overwhelming all else to the point where, like, he's putting everyone in danger. And he's turning down potential allies because he's just, like, you know, blinded by his uh, anger at mutants. And this is the clearest, I think, instance we've seen so far in the Ultimate Universe where, yes, the um, the Marvel Cinematic Universe pulls a lot of Ultimate elements into its storytelling, but the heart of Cap in those movies is from Earth-616, not in any way from Mark Miller's version, yes. which yes. is, you know, this very uh, antiquated, bitter, angry Captain America. Now, obviously, there's a lot of storytelling coming in the Ultimate Charles Universe. Xavier, like, I don't want to hear any of that New Age crap and it's like you skip the new age move like you would he's know the, about that well maybe read a book i don't know he's the angry old military man you know like yeah, that's yeah, yeah. that's all okay so i think my big issue with millar both in this and x-men that really like was becoming clear to me doesn't it feel like he doesn't particularly respect i don't want to say the x-men because i don't necessarily care about that like I'm, I'm totally fine with coming in and breaking all the toys if you have an idea for it right yeah you know, if you have some yeah. kind of plan and you know some some way of like elevating that material but that he doesn't even really respect what he's doing his own writing and maybe by proxy the reader Th- this is going to sound well dumb. he, de- he sound definitely dumb. doesn't respect the reader as the last yeah. page of wanted attests I right think quite clearly sure. <laughs> okay so these are going to sound nitpicky but I just want to list off a couple examples of things that like aggravated me and I think these like point to a larger issue that I'm having with his writing so um Moira and all of her students are on the run and uh and Nightcrawler like calls in and is like I'm trying to find a safe house you know I'm on the run myself you don't know me but you know Xavier gave me this number yeah and then at the end of the conversation Nightcrawler is now speaking German or uh, English whereas before we saw that he couldn't speak anything but German yeah um and Moira like at the very end of this conversation to put a pin on it or like to to finish the conversation is like it's scary how much how quickly you can learn english just from watching tv i don't know what that means why would moira know that he never she's never spoken to him before uh-huh she's never had a conversation with him before him just having learned english was not part of this conversation why is that something that she would say why would she even know that right this is nitpicking like i don't well particularly care i hear about what you're saying one though, moment. right okay so you're t- that, she's one. talking direct you're talking directly to the readers through that sort of dramatic irony without with the wrong character essentially okay so that that's one of them um let's see there's i have like a whole list of these um now i'm gonna forget all of them well what's the what's the point you're getting to yeah yeah so the point i i think in contrast to someone like jonathan hickman and it's not necessarily fair because jonathan hickman is you know kind of a (laughs) s-tier comic book writer they're but, pretty like, different. Contra- <laughs> They're pretty different stylistically. Yeah. Right. But like Hickman is like, you know, I- I'm going to put my mark on the X-Men world. I'm writing my own X-Men series. And I care about this to the point where like I'm building this up and everything matters. Millar is like, what sounds cool in this exact moment that maybe doesn't have to match anything else we've ever seen and flies in the face of literally stuff that I just wrote. Not even yeah. like in the face of Marvel history. Like, yeah. It doesn't even need to make sense 
with what you just read two issues ago. It just sounds cool now. And it just feels like a lack of like, he's not taking it seriously. You know, like he doesn't. Yeah. I mean, I think part of the, I think part of his charm is that sort of devil may care attitude. Like, I think that is a, a part of why he has gotten as immensely popular as he has. Um, there are instances where it pays off, where it's like the bad boy breaking all the rules, you know, and I say that half mockingly, half seriously, I guess. Um, Except but, that, like, it just reads as a little kid being like, yeah, this is cool, and it, like, it, it distances me from the comic. It makes me feel, like, not connected to this, because it's like, at any moment, Magneto might just say, oh, yeah, humans, we uh, start dividing yourselves up by race. Some of you we're going to make slaves, and some of you we're going to use as fuel, and some of you we're going to eat. And it's like, what are you talking he, about? Like, Magneto he loves, now... he being Miller, loves a little cannibalism. On he the really side. does. Yeah, Loves like, tossing it in. That doesn't make sense. Like, come on. Magneto is not going to, like... I mean, and then it never comes up again. It's not part of Magneto's plan. Like, and Miller is in charge of that. It's not like somebody else took this and didn't run with the continuity. Right. Two issues later, that's gone. That mean Magneto ever had a plan to enslave certain races and eat other ones and turn other ones into fuel? Like, I don't even know what that means. It just feels like this lack of, like... In Harley Quinn, the animated series recently, uh, the Riddler, uh, he enslaves a lot of college students and makes them run on giant hamster wheels to power uh, Riddler University. (laughs) So it's probably (laughs) something like that (laughs) would be my assumption. Um, Yeah, yeah, I I hear what you're saying there. I do think... I think Miller's... I, I think the best parts of this are the opposite of what you're saying when it's like hey wouldn't this be cool and it is so like yeah like he does hit cool a big like oh yeah that's some great action ideas here and there and that's what makes i think probably like ultimates his the most compelling work of his Mm -hmm. is like there are some really good ideas in that in that series you know what i mean and it looks great with brian hitchard there's usually good macro ideas Right, he is kind of like I, because I, I kind of generally like what he's doing on a, a zoomed out level with X Men. Like, I like yeah. the idea of you know the Jean sure. Grey Phoenix stuff. I like that you know as a concept that doesn't get quite pulled off that well. I I like you know Weapon X. I like kind of an but he just like loves to throw in all these details that just are basically like yeah I don't really care about any of this. I'm just kind of you know I'm just spitballing here. This is like stuff that all should have been left on the table because you're like well that doesn't make any sense. That doesn't well and that let's doesn't... I mean let's remember too if you're talking about checking out maybe a little bit um he's he is nearly done with x-men yeah. at this point yeah, yeah. right so like by the time we get to ultimate x-men 33 that's the end of miller's run on x-men now he's not entirely done with the ultimate universe we'll see him pop back up here and there um but you know it is like coming to a conclusion of things there could be there could be that behind the scenes boredom or just kind of earnest like yeah i'm, I'm pretty close to the end here uh yeah. you know I'm, I'm just gonna wrap things up that's possible i i think with war with ultimate war it's fine, you know? It's fine. I think the things I like about it are the things I've liked about Ultimate X-Men to date, which is the focus on Magneto. Like, the only character I care about in this series is Magneto. And I I quite... And I, I tend to think, like, that's kind of how the storytellers feel as well. Um, and the... Uh, like, Magneto as Silver Age supervillain is not, I think, almost any X-Men fan's favorite version of the character... And yet, mm-hmm. the ultimate universe version of him is like just just augmented enough with the Claremont era nuance, because he's not a nuanced version, right? But like just enough of that where he is a Holocaust survivor. He does have 
philosophical takes. He does have like you know he can he can espouse the virtues of a, ut- a mutant utopia with yeah. some eloquence. You know, even if it's not it, eloquent. Except again, like it's one of these things where like yeah, here's that that's all cool stuff, and clearly Hickman is going to take this and be like. What if we, you know, took that seriously instead of just used it as kind of like a... Well, it's it's not just Hickman. I mean, that's happened in X-Men comics a lot before mm-hmm. that point in, in okay, 616. Yeah. Like, Magneto setting up mutant nations is nothing new. Okay. But, like, Magneto being a Holocaust survivor and then later talking about, like, enslaving humans and using them for fuel, that directly clashes. That's, like, absolutely I think that's wild. a I think that's a dissonance, though, that he's often aware of and that makes the character kind of interesting like it i don't i don't write it off because it clashes i i actually find that more engaging and to see the ways he twists himself into knots to talk around that and to say well yes it's a it's a clash of you know what i know to be wrong but i have to do it because they did it to me first yeah i i mean i'm not i'm definitely not opposed to you know characters that are not like internally consistent if i feel like that's coming from the writer rather than just like carelessness or lack of interest in actually doing that. And that that's what I was just feeling here. And then also, mm. like, talk about how Magneto's money comes from, like, being tied to George W. Bush, uh, like, oil interests. Which, again, is, like, directly clashing with what we've seen as him as an environmentalist. But he's making his fortune off of oil. But that never comes up again. It's it just, like, a, a million of these little details. And it's, I feel like... Yeah, but that's, like, like Miller... Picking. Nobody in Marvel at this time, whether we're talking Ultimate or otherwise loves to pull from directly American politics like Miller, right? Like he pops, oh, I mean, Rums- we, he top- pops a, Donald Rumsfeld into this. He pops we, in a whole scene with Dick Cheney. John, John Bolton is in the background of some scenes. Like, yeah, that's wild. Them, yeah. Right. Um, he yeah. loves inserting actual Which is weird, political like, figures. He loves talking about the Bush administration and having them all be here and all be kind of like, you know, Nick Fury is the smartest man in the room with all of them. But at the same time, like what's going on with the X-Men if you're trying to draw the analogy between what the Bush administration is doing with, like, the war against terror in X-Men, like... You're Bush trying to draw that would... analogy. <laughs> I don't think <laughs> Miller is. I know. Well, that's what He's I He's just mean. pulling it's... the current administration. Yeah, right, exactly. And it just, like, is ludicrous then to have such a... Something that, like, so naturally pairs as a, as, as a metaphor... Not a metaphor, as an analogy. And then to actually ignore the reality of it, like... Yeah. Maybe. Maybe so. I, I, again, there's not a lot of like political analysis going on in the book. It's more just like, who are the people, and we're just going to put them directly in here, which does require a certain degree of fearlessness, frankly. Um, just because I, yeah, of see, the, I didn't, the backlash I didn't mind it that. as much when it was like, yeah, Captain America shaking hands with George W. Bush. Uh, Magneto just attacking George W. Bush, right? But this is like, specifically, like we sit in at several meetings of the Bush administration talking about their mutant plan <laughs> you know like their plan for what to do about the mutants you know you you can't not be political with that it's explicitly political um yeah yeah anyway, well and it's i so, yes okay we don't need to go deeper into that um i think one of the biggest problems with ultimate war is i'm often interested in magneto's plans i mm-hmm. am not interested at all in the ultimates fighting the x-men i mean honestly like i read this yesterday i kind of forgot what the ultimates do throughout this like the ultimates are such so <laughs> get mad not... and uh and call the x-men names <laughs> yeah they're Basically. weirdly like not a you know not super relevant to the plot and, and neither are most of the x-men themselves like i yeah. kind of just remember like 
Xavier and Wolverine from this? I mean, Iron Man's most relevant contribution is once things have wrapped up and Magneto has been captured, he hits on Jean Grey and Storm at the after party and uh, makes sure that they're at least... Uh, what 18, is he? Sixteen, eighteen? Yeah. I feel 18, like he, I feel like he aimed too young. Even no, in the question, 18, he's like, "You're at least eighteen, right?" So I'm not wasting my time. So big D back like, points for Tony. Yeah, I, I mean, you're saying the quiet part out loud, Tony, right? Like, the, but the idea, like, it's just one of these dumb things where the girls are just like, like Jean Grey is like smirking, like she's being charmed by this. Where a man just was like, "Yeah, I'm forty, and uh, I'm just making sure you're legal to have sex with." That's my intention here. I don't want to waste my time, and like, and that's charming. It, yeah it's rough uh, i mean gene's got uh, a type in uh in ultimate x-men and it's ancient <laughs> it's ancient and hairy which uh okay so we, we'll we'll get to that but um yeah i mean i i the net result of all of this and us kind of hemming and hawing our way through saying like it's just not that good yeah, um no, is the uh shield captures magneto they have him prisoner they put him in the brian singer directed x-men universe magnetoplastic prison which i do love that that's the end of ultimate x-men not ultimate war uh oh do they, they don't war even capture him by the end of this you're right yeah no the end of this is ultimate x-men or uh charles getting captured yeah you're right i yeah. i mixed these up uh so uh, yeah it's the inverse actually uh, professor x gets captured by shield and he is their prisoner and they mm-hmm. put him on you know psychic dampening things and professor x uh becomes uh becomes prisoner magneto's on the loose still and the X-Men are, like, wanted and hiding in one of many, Mona, Professor X's many safe houses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then we get, like, seven issues of X-Men that are all kind of dealing with the aftermath of this that actually feel a little bit more like, okay, let, let's actually look at what would happen here, and it doesn't feel like it's rushed through. Like, it feels I mean, like a nice slow build up to... Yeah, um, it's it's the, almost... The kind of stuff. So, like, 26 is the, is the um, prelude... To the Return of the King story, which is about Magneto, but it's also like probably would have been better before Ultimate War because it's it's the Professor X Magneto background, so it actually fills in all the gaps that started in you know way back in Ultimate X Men One about like these two coming together and their plans for mutant kind and how that all falls apart and the the not surprising I guess turn that you know Professor X is in a wheelchair because when he tried to escape Magneto's island eventually you know Magneto pierced his spine right. Um, kind of something they Which, pulled from you know, in uh, X Men First six, Class. Compared to six one six, it's it's an improvement. <laughs> it <laughs> like, is. It is. T- well, and I think tying. that's actually one of the things Miller does well. Is like again, like this is something I've talked about a lot, but like blending those the ideas of how you think X Men maybe should have played out based mm-hmm. on everything we know, as opposed to the literal what actually happened in the Stan and Jack comics, which is, <laughs> you know, Vanisher-related, <laughs> right? Yeah, where it's like, and then I plummeted off a cliff in my convertible with my, my brother, you know, who was holding a grudge against me. Is that how you got paralyzed? No, that was years later with a man named Lucifer. Lucifer, right. <laughs> yeah. Um. So instead of that, it's like, no, he should, like, who's his closest connection? Yeah, it's Magneto. It's got to happen yeah. that way. Yeah, yeah. That's fine. Um. I just... I. The I do actually like Miller's telling of Magneto and Charles and their separation. I don't think it's super deep or anything, you know, but I do like... Yeah, you don't really get into anything deeper than Magneto is uh, angry and Charles is pacifist. And it's the, so they, they it's the commoners, <laughs> which is insulting, but it's the commoners' understanding of yeah. Professor X and Magneto. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's the, it's the, oh, one of these is MLK and one of these is Malcolm X, right? Like that yeah. very simple... 
sort of just if like oh i've seen if, the movies and yeah, i know what their deal is what they were about either yeah 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 um which is which is fine it, it, like that is the commonly accepted understanding of these two characters for a good long while by a good many people um and i i do like hearing Manito talk about his plans for like a mutant nation and again like actually carving out their own territory like the fact that they had territory that was attacked the fact that they then had to move to the savage land to find mm-hmm. a safe haven for mutant kind i like all that stuff yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And I think it works, again, too. It does help explain a little bit why Magneto is the way he is. And then it doesn't really help explain Professor X, but because we know he's always resistant to this, mm-hmm. you know, it just it's it doubles down on that a little bit. Then we get into the actual post-Ultimate War. Professor X is in prison. The X-Men are on the run. Magneto is working uh, with a new brotherhood of evil mutants, uh, including Forge, who is building him a weapon that will basically wipe out humanity more or less mm-hmm. yeah yeah um, forge is kind of fine here uh he's interesting enough you know forge we I just guess. talked about his debut in my marvelous year yeah and i do actually like i like the fact that in in uncanny x-men forge does very much begin as a designer of weapons against mutants you know like he builds mm-hmm. a a mutant power nullifying gun whether his mm-hmm. intent is for it to be used by the government or not, it, that's what he builds. Um, and here he's building a straight-up, like, doomsday device for Magneto. So it's kind of this thing where he's, like, he's not the the core villain, but he's enabling them, mm-hmm. you know? And just, like, in the, consistent. the mainline universe, he, you know, immediately is like, oh, I, I didn't know this is what you were going to do with it. Like, I, I don't know if this is how I want my, you know... My stuff yeah. to be used. Which is kind of some BS, I would say. Right. Um, and it, yeah, you know, right. just yeah. a lack of foresight. To, yes. to really not know what's going on. Um, there's a whole through line here of... So Magneto in uh, in issue 27, Magneto has a bunch of the Brotherhood go through the Louvre and steal a bunch of masterpieces. Yeah. Um, and then like go have him steal like, the original film stock of a bunch of classic movies and first print editions of like sci-fi paperbacks this is like a running thing that like magneto is really really into like pulpy sci-fi but the, not the idea really is clearly like we're gonna build a new a new universe or not a new universe we're gonna build a new earth and we want to keep the best of what it had to offer you know as cultural mm-hmm. artifacts I, I do think someone calls him on this eventually and is like yeah but these were made by humans um, why would you want to keep those? And, and again, no, it's they one don't, of those things where no, you, they don't really talk about it. They kind of just say like, I thought there was one little. Yeah, scene. well, I guess he, I guess he thinks there's something worth, you know, e- even humans create something worthwhile, and then that's it. Which, like, it, again, it's just kind of one of these things where like, interesting idea. You well, it's kind of important thing to to say about it. Right, yeah, exactly. it's kind of important because he keeps referring to humans as animals doing. or as insects. You know, like he he's really heavying up on the language of. Not only are humans inferior, but they are they are like insects. They are bugs, mm-hmm. you know, and that they are yeah. just they need to be exterminated. Like he's really leaning into that territory very, very heavily. So the idea that and, and actually this this actually matters a lot for his character because like okay, if humans created cultural artifacts that matter to him, that suggests maybe he doesn't believe what he's saying. And then Professor X, by the very end of this, is like, yeah, you loved a human woman and had two kids with her, and that mm-hmm. you know sends Magneto into a I'm not going to talk to you anymore like state of anger so there's it's played with very very lightly um yeah I, and i think that would be fascinating that's really interesting yeah right? the idea that like trying to watch him square that circle of like you know i think this was a brilliant sci-fi film which he mentions some movie and he's like yeah absolutely brilliant film and it's like it's completely created and acted by like all parts of it were human probably yeah. so what uh, okay um 
Also, I have to give a quick credit where it's due to Mark Miller for casting the entire Iron Man franchise, because much like he suggested Robert Downey Jr. in, um, or no, he doesn't suggest RDJ, does he? He suggests uh, Samuel L. Jackson mm-hmm. in um, in the Ultimate series. He suggests, or he brings up as a pop culture reference, Gwyneth Paltrow as uh, as the the beautiful masterminded girlfriend of Jamie Madrox. So he gets he gets the Pepper Potts casting credit as well. Mm. Yeah, I guess. I mean, he's just using the most popular actors and actresses of the day, so it doesn't. No, I know. It's not that surprising that a lot of them. I know, you know but uh, but he clearly casted her. I think we can all agree. Yeah, in a gross way, which was like, "Hey, that ugly girl who's got a crush on me, can you just make her look hot to me?" Yes. Yeah. That was exactly uh, <laughs> the context. I mean, it is. It's basically. No, you're right. It. I'm not. I'm not joking. <laughs> okay. Um. Yeah, and then uh, let's see. Ooh, twenty. So we've we've had art by David Finch here, who I think's doing okay. Steps in for Adam Kubert. I actually don't like um, Finch for this series as much as Adam Kubert, although Finch is no, certainly no, a very well-renowned not. artist who's who's going to do some very good work. His work on some New Avengers with Bendis. horrendous is, covers, though. Yeah, the covers are, are brutal. I was actually just going to look up. Um, so it is David Finch with colors with by Gene Dean Ray. White. Yeah, I have that one right in front of me. Uh, both <laughs> those artists I like a lot. Like, truly, Dean White I know has done... Like colors or inks for I think Black Science with Rick Raminger. Like these are talented people. Um, Ultimate X Men number twenty eight. It, it's it's Gene with very a huge midriff, a very large breast, very, very thick but Gene, yeah, very thick, right? Two C's. And uh, I've I've never been less attracted to Gene. <laughs> Somehow, <laughs> it's a very strange you know? looking Gene. Yeah, it, very odd looking. You know um, what? To be fair, all of the Ultimate Universe has had pretty bad covers uniformly. Yeah, you're not a you're not a big Ultimate Spider-Man cover fan. They definitely aren't. They're kind of like posters. They're like character one-shot posters as opposed to cool art, I guess. Like actual interactive art. Really digitized. A lot of them. Yes, there's a very of the era. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So um, the the Spider-Man ones have been getting better, but some of those initial ones are awful. The the Spider-Man ones I only like because they're. It's just like it's so tonally just consistent where it's like oh this is an ultimate spider-man issue you know mm-hmm. like it's just yeah. every time you know um ultimate x-men they're playing around a little bit and sometimes very much for the worse the thread the non like well i guess it kind of becomes the focus by the end of this so the ultimate x-men i think 27 um when we get to the return of the king arc the wolverine and kitty come back from the savage land and they show up and they're just like yeah cyclops is dead <laughs> and that's and that's just like accepted for mm-hmm. five issues without any explanation <laughs> it's super wild um and i it, it genuinely made me question like wait did we miss like a weird annual or you know an ultimate x-men one half or something don't worry they get back to it uh but they just toss it out there and then gene worries that oh maybe wolverine killed him uh because he wants to date me which is like she she thinks I, about can we the, just be done with the wolverine time, gene thing later throughout we did the it series what we Ultimate X-Men already did the Wolverine Gene thing. They hook up. It ends badly. Right? Why is it still going? But then Gene Grey later is like, you know, I feel like my Phoenix power is increasing. I can, like, read through Wolverine's psychic blocks that he has installed, you know, from Weapon X or whatever. And, like, I know what you did. But then she also... But then nothing happens, right? Like, she insinuates that she knows that Wolverine left him to die. That she knows it, not is just suspecting it. Yeah. But then also, like, just lets that go and nothing comes of it. Yeah, she doesn't actually act on it. The only reason it gets 
a resolution is because of an issue I actually very much enjoy, which is we finally get Cyclops's story, which is, mm-hmm. yes, uh, Wolverine did drop him to the bottom of a pit in the Savage Land, and we spend an issue kind of cutting in and out of Scott lying in a crumpled heap, uh, like his arm twisted grotesquely behind his head in a pit, uh, trying to survive. And it's it's actually a really good Cyclops issue. I do like this characterization of him, like the the things he's telling himself to stay alive, to stay mm-hmm. focused, to not concentrate on the pain, to eat the bugs around him. There's some like good little lines like bugs are amazing. I'm only going to eat these when I get back, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's good. Stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, like, it, it, it turns into like 127 hours, but with like Cyclops at the bottom of this. Uh, yeah, thing. yeah, exactly. And ultimately yeah. he is like after a long, long time, which is, is like rescued. Be- kind of beggar's belief where it's like oh totally it's like day 28 or something it's like yeah i haven't i've been immobile for 28 days like both my legs are broken i've got a collapsed lung uh but i've just been lying here for 28 days not you know only eating centipedes <laughs> right exactly and, and he's, he's ultimately rescued by i guess oh it's magneto it's the brotherhood mm-hmm. um because they sent some mutant yeah, yeah. signature they bring him to magneto's secret base uh, which is uh, Asteroid M style, uh, you know, base out in space. And it's only too late realized that they have brought in the, you know, student leader of the X-Men to uh, to Magneto's base. Yep. And uh, he he stops Magneto from reversing the magnetic, magnetic poles. Forge has built something that will, like, allow Magneto's powers to be amplified. Right. Uh, Cyclops bursts in, stops him. And he, Magneto's like, how are you going to stop me alone? And he's like... You know, who said I'm alone? And then he pulls out, like, his little X, X-Men transponder thing yeah. to show that he, like, signaled the X-Men where they are. Which is, like, if you've had that, why haven't you been sending <laughs> signals the entire time? Like, it was just another one of these dumb things. It's like, I have a, I have my X-Men walkie-talkie, and I just told them all where you are. And it's like, I think you've been sitting down there for, like, a month. Like, there might have... Yeah, that is funny. There might have been a thing where he tried and they couldn't get a signal out through that cave. Whatever. Maybe. I mean, <laughs> I mean, they didn't mention that, no. But, you know, it, it sounds like I'm being nitpicky because it's just like one at a time. I don't really care about these little things. You know, like a, I, I, yeah. I, I, I am not someone who is just like these little details really matter, except for the fact that like they just come a mile, a mile a minute. No, they come quick. I don't know. Yeah, that's fresh. Yeah, um, they're they're just very very rapid because like it just kind of seems like he doesn't care as long as it just serves its purpose to get the story moving over and over and over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I get some things are like oh, let's suspend disbelief. I, I, yeah, it, it's only in collection that these really start to grade on me. Anyway, yeah, I, the similarly, in, they have, I, I would actually say similarly hmm. to that, like the the kind of nonsensical let's just keep the action moving kind of continues in. In Ultimate X-Men 31, where Magneto's plan gets disrupted, but in a callback to Uncanny X-Men number one, seemingly just to do it, <laughs> Magneto pulls nukes from a base in Florida, which is literally like, that is the that is the Stan and Jack first story, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, he's like, I'm going to scare everybody in Florida with all this nuclear radiation. Um, that you, He's like, that's the one thing I get off. I, that's the one thing I get off on. <laughs> <It's nuclear laughs> no, Miami. No. That's the one thing I can do uh, before, you know, even though you've stopped me with my yeah. my broader plan. Yeah. I, you know, what? I, I remember the other example of this that really grated on me. And it's going to be nothing. But, like, there's a, there's some character. They're talking to Jean Grey's dad, uh, trying to find out where Jean Grey is. Oh, yeah. yeah. Nick Fury. Um, 
And uh, at the end, he's just like, how you know, you can't get it out of my mind because they didn't tell me where you, where they are. I don't know. Yes. And he's like, Nick Fury, you know, insinuating that S.H.I.E.L.D. has some psychics nearby trying to read his mind. And he's like, yeah, I know you're trying to read my mind. I'd feel that little tickle in the back of my hypothalamus anywhere. Hypothalamus has nothing to do with memory. This sounds... Whoa, whoa. I'll take the brain questions, Your Honor. Sorry, sorry. This, this feels nitpicky, but it's just... The thing is, like, I can be really forgiving of this stuff in a pre-internet age, but where you can literally just type in memory area online, <laughs> and then you're just like, all right, you know, it, it's just that lack of care. And it's not about this specifically. I really I need to underline. It's not like any one yeah. of these things is driving me nuts. It's just that, like, he just doesn't care. And it's like, this is, all you need to do is just generally be right about it. And you can, whatever, argue the guy doesn't know. The character doesn't know what part of the brain. But it's just like, Mark Millar doesn't seem to care enough about what he's doing himself. <laughs> like, doesn't even respect the work enough mm. to put in the, you know, the effort. As opposed to someone like Hickman, who is just, like, so meticulous and that everything needs to be, you know, like, so lined up and planned out and whatever. And, you know, that's, like, Hickman's superpower. So I can't expect everyone to live up to that. Yeah, I was going to say, level. like, you can you can make significantly less yeah. um, it, it, obvious examples, frankly. Yes, I mean, that's of, of writers who just writer are, are, like, better suited for I mean, the Bendis, continuity sure. and the yeah. consistency of an X-Men story. And, and I guess, to your point, I don't know that Mark Miller is a fan of the X-Men. And I don't really ever care to call a writer's fan credentials into question, but I do care to say, are they passionate about the work? Are they passionate about and engaged with the story? And like like with Bendis on Ultimate X-Men, there's zero doubt to me that he's extremely passionate about telling Peter Parker's story, right? Like I I feel a love for this character, for this world, for these stories— and and like as a bonus for the for the work that came before, right? Which mm-hmm. which isn't essential, but I like it as somebody who yeah, cares about yeah. that sort of thing. No, I definitely because you hear that a lot of like, um, you know, yeah, John Byrne just likes to come in and you know break all the toys when he gets a new character. Uh-huh. And I'm like, you know what? I don't. That is not a criticism to me in and of itself, unless that that so like is deeply disrespecting every like if that just means that like that's your main draw but if you come in and you're just like i have a great idea for this character it really does throw away everything we've seen before but it like i really want to take them in a new direction and then i'm excited to do that right like i'm passionate about this new story i'm telling yeah like i'm into that but when it also is just like yeah you know i also don't really care what i'm doing with these now and, exactly you know. exactly and we're 30 we're 33 issues into this by the time we're done plus the four issues of ultimate war miller's had 37 issues plus all yeah. of ultimates to it to and, invest you know like so he was brought in to blow it up right and, so and we any, don't, we any don't of wanna, the criticisms i don't think either well, just let me finish here wanna, any of the criticisms oh, yeah, on yeah. on like characters being different at the start of the ultimate universe which i have made here and there that is mm-hmm. the point of this universe yes right like the point is to feel different and to tell his story, and that's fine. But by the time we get to the end of his story, it's it, like you're saying, and I think you're you're solidifying in in my mind something I hadn't really articulated. Like I don't really know that he's that invested in whatever his story is, right? Mm-hmm. I think he's invested in setting up Magneto as the villain of the Ultimate Universe. Beyond that, I don't know. Yeah, right. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I just want to say, I don't think, I don't think either of us want to ascribe like any kind of specific feelings to the writer. You know, like I, I don't right. feel it's a dangerous saying game. like Mark Millar is, you know, he doesn't care what he's doing. Like he wrote thirty-seven issues of this. This is not something that just you know you fart out like this. You know, like well, and they are. It's not like they're writing. awful. It's not like they're no, awful. No, they're very readable. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, I don't want to say this is him, but I'm just saying that this is the the feeling you get is that, like, this story does not feel like it, you know, hangs together as something that's trying to build into something new and trying to hang together as its own work. It just kind of feels thrown together with whatever seems coolest in the moment. Another example of that is I really like the decision to, like, yeah, Wolverine did something kind of unequivocally <laughs> yes. evil here. Yes, You know, like, I like that he tossed, like, he just tossed Cyclops. He was just like, Cyclops is like, oh, I guess Professor X is right. You know, you send the, the, send us two rivals out, and I guess we'll become best friends in the end. And Wolverine is like, <laughs> nope, yeet, <laughs> just toss right. him off the cliff. Right. I like that. And then by the end of this, he's just like, yeah, no, Cyclops is like, yeah, I forgive you. Uh, Come back. Well, because Cyclo- so after they stop Magneto, oh, Cyclops yeah, yeah, and Wol- he's like, "Hey, Wolverine, we got something to address." And yeah. Cyclops roasts him. Like Wolverine's like, "All right, let's throw down." And Cyclops just literally roasts him. It's a one-second fight. Then mm-hmm. Cyclops later goes and apologizes to Wolverine, who has left the X Men in the snow, and invites him back in what is so clearly a, "Hey, uh, Mark, could you <laughs> could you put that toy back in the box before you go, please? Uh, the next writer's going to need it." You know, like it's mm-hmm. it sucks actually because I was. I really liked what just happened. I really mm-hmm. liked that Cyclops yeah. it, it gave, like, I guess gave in, but I think any one of us sitting in a cave for 28 days would do so, right? Um, and that Wolverine would be off the team because of that. But no, it's not to be. So I, I don't necessarily blame Miller for that, but I, I do not like that storytelling beat. Yeah. Oh, so this is this is it for, I'm just looking it up now. This is the end of Mark Millar in here. Brian Michael Bendis takes over right yeah, after boy. this. Yeah, boy. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no, it just, it does feel kind of just like, well, you know why I like it is because, like, Wolverine is always just like, man, there's a dark side to this guy. He's, I mean, he does cut off Sabretooth's head. <laughs> and <then> like, <laughs> yes. With with absolutely no fight. Like, Sabretooth's just like, hey, what are you going to do to me? I grow back anything you can uh, cut off. And he's just like, grow this back and cut his head off. I, Which I will say, knowing you don't have time to show the Wolverine Sabretooth brouhaha that we saw in the Weapon X saga... Pretty cool action move. <laughs> just a quick, oh yeah, he just got off his head. Sure, we didn't need to see mm-hmm. that right now. Yeah. Um, uh, another cool thing I like, Jean Grey kind of like gets a, gets full control of the Phoenix Force. Like she has control of all these powers. Yes, this And then good. Use, uses it to just, there's like a nuclear disaster happening, like a Chernobyl unfolding in near Miami. I think Magneto actually takes... calls out Chernobyl. And weirdly yeah. then in parentheses said, great show, love it. I haven't seen that yet. Is it, it's good? Yeah. Yeah, I, don't, I haven't seen it either, but I was surprised oh, to hear Magneto say that in 2003. Yeah, yeah, very prescient, this series. Yeah, she, she lifts up a few, like, square miles of land, and I actually don't even know what she does with it, but <laughs> she takes it away, <laughs> at least. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember where she she brings it. Um, but, yeah, I, I like that. That was That's kind of fun and cool, and doesn't wildly clash with anything else we've ever seen. You know, felt like a no. natural culmination of things. No, it's so, that has actually been built. Yeah, I mean, overall... So oh, you were you know more what? you were more like I like Miller's Ultimate X Men more than Ultimate Spider Man. Um, I think last time mm. we talked, you know, that's definitely kind of been our yeah, ma- our back and forth. I, I neither of us not, is like not for I the, hate not one for or the, the whole other. time, but initially, yeah. Spider Man still rising and... feel that way by the end of it, or do you no, think like no no it doesn't no I was like it when I was yet. done with this I was like oh thank God Spider Man at least I'll have something like nice right? to read like this will just right? be 
this will be nice and breezy. I, I know, like, even if it's not great, like, it's not going to aggravate me. I think my final, my final thought, which maybe I've said before, is Ultimate X-Men feels like, especially now, because I'm so invested in what X-Men comics are doing in 2020. Obviously, you've mentioned mm-hmm. the Hickman era so many times. I'm really curious to see ideas and interesting takes that writers have had in different venues. And I thought, like, rereading Ultimate X-Men will be a great opportunity to do that. I would love to see what are the ideas that were in Ultimate X-Men that could tie into what's going now, going on now or different ways of approaching. And there's so little of that. There's just mm-hmm. so little of that to really grasp onto. Um, you know, like there's little bits here and there. Magneto mentioning a mutant language. Um, obviously him running his own, you know, utopia in the like Savage Land. But it feels like one of a hundred details that he's just kind of throwing out. And not even seeing what sticks because he's not interested in sticking around long enough to see if it sticks. He just it's just a quick one-off. Yeah. But, I mean, you could say, like, you know, Hickman read this and was like, oh, that's a fun idea. What if I take it seriously? <laughs> you know? I mean, like, but you could, but I also, again, like, because it's such a, a small one-off, like, there's no reason to think that's the influence. No, two, yeah. two people could come to that conclusion quite easily, yes, right? Very easy. So yeah. it, it's a, a, it very disappointing to me in the sense of, like, I reread all that and I don't have a YouTube video to make out of it. <laughs> like, that's, <laughs> that's a bummer. Like, where's the There's content? not enough to say. Where I mean, is the like, content? What's, what's, that's what this is all about. Yeah, why even read comics if you're not getting right? content out of it, baby? I, I genuinely have that problem. Like, am I am I able to create something out of reading this, or am I just sure. reading it for fun? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh. You know what I'm excited about? <laughs> yeah, I'm excited. So we're gonna have Brian Michael Bendis on for a while, which which I'm interested in. I think uh, you know he's coming on the show. You got Brian? <laughs> he, will, he will be taking over X Men for about yeah. thirteen issues, for about a year. Um, and then we're gonna have Brian K. Vaughn on for a while. Yeah. Of like why the Last Man Saga, um, Ex Machina. Ex Machina is no, it's not my favorite. Saga is my favorite of his. I need okay. to read Ex Machina. That's a that's a gap. I've only read the first volume. Oh really? It's it's good. Oh, and it ends well too. Which uh, yeah, I haven't finished Why. Why is one that I gotten like. You haven't finished Why? I, I don't know. That that comic's not that hot for me. It's it that that leads into all the stuff about um. Brian came on that aggravates me where it's just like well you've always character. said I need at least two men in my comics if I don't have two <laughs> men I'm out <laughs> yeah yeah every comic I judge by the uh, we call it the anti-bestel test <laughs> and uh, if it doesn't pass the anti-bestel I'm not interested yeah big anti-bestel uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> No, that that comic just leans into all of Brighton K. Vaughn's, like, every character is a, you know, a pop culture trivia savant, and they love their, like, little monologues about, like, pop culture. Do you know the craziest thing I've ever done on Comic Book Herald? Probably not. It is, I, after, while reading Why the Last Man, I compiled a list of every pop culture reference. This exists on Comic Book Herald. If you Google... Every pop culture reference in Why the Last Man, I wrote it out. Zach, it's genuinely the craziest thing I've ever done. Very early in Comic Book Herald's life. I'm looking it up. Yeah. This was this was pre kids Dave, although not pre marriage Dave, which it definitely reads like. <laughs> oh, see, yeah. Yeah, all right. Uh, Why the Last Man is notable for a number of reasons, not least of which is that the comic series is stuffed to the brim with pop culture references. That's not exactly a primary reason why Why the Last Man is a shoe-in on any best graphic novels list, but it's a hugely central component of the reading experience. Yeah. Hang on, me, are you are you reading a, a published scholar? Uh, this language. Yeah, this is, is a just this like is a Pulitzer scintillating. Pulitzer Prize winning. Uh, no, it's a, it's a, it's a Pulitzer. You were right the Pulitzer. first time. <laughs> oh. <is>. Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> the Mad Magazine parody. Uh, it's P O O Litzer. Yeah, yeah, you want a real poo Litzer for this? Um, Got it. Yeah. So this is this is the stuff that whatever. I don't think it's a bad comic by any means. I just like it's not my <laughs> that would fate. that would be a take. But I, I'm I'm his BKV anyway, on Ultimate X Men is definitely not yes. held up among his greatest works. Okay, um, I'm interested because uh, he, he brings it's in no saga, right away. but I'll be very interested to see. I, I'm just looking. His first issue, he brings in one of the Alpha Flight members and Mister. Oh boy! Ooh, oh, I okay. I'm just gonna I'm gonna foreshadow something here. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mister Sinister in the Ultimate Universe <laughs> sucks. Sucks. I, I remember hating this. So we'll see what I what I think. I've never read Mister Sinister in mainline comics besides like the Hickman stuff. So maybe it'll feel different to you then. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's, let's talk get into a nice Ultimate Spider-Man fresh air, number forty. Yeah. Uh, 40 to 45 and the one half issue is what we read. Mm-hmm. You know what I like, Zach? I like it when uh, when Peter and MJ are happy. I really do. Yeah, it's cute. It, it's it's kind of nice. It's cute. It's teen drama executed, I think, pretty well. You know, mm-hmm. we've talked about yeah, whether or not Breichel can speak the voice of the teens, but I think in this in these early issues, he does it quite well. And you, I like you know what's together. one re- really nice moment that like solidifies that feels very um on on the on point for how teens would like deal with this kind of stuff yeah. is that like you know they're split up they're kind of like you know still like dancing around each other a little bit they go to a party um and i will get to mj's outfit later we'll talk about that um <laughs> that well that's going to be the second hour of the but show. like they, they ride home on the bus together and they kind of you know like have this nice little moment and then before they split to go home mj's like i have this letter take it you know but promise you won't read it till you get home like don't yeah. read it and fr- don't open it now promise and you know so they he takes the letter they leave they both go home he reads the letter and it's a confession of like she loves him and you know is just like scared and doesn't know how to express herself and yeah. then he just immediately runs to her house and jumps in her window and is like did you mean it and she's like yeah i meant it and then they kiss like up that is like so teenager to me that like yeah here i need you need to read this letter away from me and then come to me when you're done with it like it's very sweet and like I, I kind of very much feel that kind of like you know I, I don't want to even be present while you read this letter this is how I have to express myself yeah I will say god it is driving me nuts how absolutely horny Mark Bagley is for MJ who's like 16 like oh really see I, I don't mean, both, I don't both I actually was thinking costume. I don't find Bagley's art like Ooh, boy. like sexual at all oh, I, maybe it what? is well, like so, there's so they go to a 16 year old party, right? So they go to a high school party, Gwen and Peter, and MJ and Liz show up. And MJ, in her broken up, hey, let's Liz convinces her like try a new Lou look, do something fun. She's got on like a, a very short black hair wig, and uh, a like basically Hellfire Club topping <laughs> yeah. and short miniskirt, um, which obviously is like, ooh, you just put a 16 year old, but that's also something a 16 year old would wear. To a party trying to, uh, you know, like like deal with a breakup. So I get, I get that. Yeah, you can do that without seeming leering, right? Like I, I it's not like um, there, there are so th- the that, camera that, angles aren't yeah. like like accentuating like the big, you know, like her breasts are out or like you know, or, or just her backside or something. The, the like it's kind of really, just her strutting into the party. Yeah, I guess the one that really got me is when like 
Peter goes over to her house to, like, make up with her. Oh, yeah. And they kiss on her bed, and, like, she's wearing, like, this skin-tight little, like, t-shirt. And, you like, and it cuts up in the front so much that you're seeing, like, that, you know, basically her pelvis, like, the front of her pelvis from the side, like, and it's just like, ooh, yeah, she's she's naked under here. Like, there's nothing under here, and you can, you can almost just see everything. And it's just gross. Like, this stuff really drives me. And you know what? Like, it would be a little gross, period, no matter what. I guess because it's just like kind of gross and objectifying and titillating and not why I'm reading this. Um, I, w- I weirdly like, don't see that re- in these issues. There's like, there's such an innocence to this book that I just like, <sighs> maybe it's just willful, willful obliviousness, but like, I, I don't actually get those vibes from ultimate Spider-Man. Yeah. Okay. Well, you're a sex criminal. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Just, just a second. Just a second. Let's let's hold up for just a hot second. Now I'm going to be on a list because I'm sending you this picture of MJ. Um, Great. I, I mean, this... Look, look in your Skype. You don't see that as, like, being just kind of like, oh, she's 16. I don't need to see that much of her. Oh, jeez. Did you zoom in or did I zoom in? There we go. Um, I mean, she's just... She's wearing a very skimpy nightgown. Like, that is... That's what happens when you break into someone's room when they're going to bed. <laughs> I know, but it was a decision to make her wear that, right? Like, yeah, yes. I, 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 I mean, there's yeah. a there's a there's a strong sex sells at Mar- like mandate at Marvel right now. Which you in know this what? Era. Like, I can yeah, I can be much more forgiving of you know it, just in general. I think it's. Still I don't. I don't like, find it sexy at all. I guess is the thing. Like, I don't think it's. It's and really I'm, badly. Tra- if it's trying here, to be, I like, think it's ineffective. I guess I should say. Well, see, I mean, the problem for me is, like, I look at it and my eyes bubble out of my head and I go, wooga. Right. And steam blows out of my ears and I'm like, right. hello, nurse. Which you've got to put more ventilation in that closet because there is so <laughs> much steam in there. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I'm not saying, like, this is like, oh, man, these are driving me wild. But, like, it bothers me because she's 16. <laughs> like, I'm, you know, I, I don't know. I, I What What is the... So, like, genuinely, what is the alternative? Like, what is... Sh- how do you approach that as as creators? Do you never draw a sixteen year old in, trying to look sexy because sixteen year olds will do that? Yeah, I guess so. But like, I I don't know, man. It, it, this feels like you know the idea of uh, you know oh, what, what's pornography. I know it when I see it. It's just like I can clearly. This tell feels you like are. that to you. This doesn't feel like that to me. This is you know. I mean, they have Kitty. I mean, Adam Kubart already had this like Kitty Pride in a little string bikini. Yeah. You know, and it's just like every muscle on her abdomen is absolutely defined, you know, and she's just wearing little triangles over her breasts, which haven't quite come in yet. You know, and it's just like so. Yeah. Gross. I don't know all that stuff. Like, it, I guess this is a line that gets drawn for everybody individually. But this stuff really like puts a gross taste in my mouth. And, you know, th- this is besides just the idea of like sexualizing women in general specifically where like the men don't get sexualized. This is specifically teenage women, which is really well. You know, I- I guess really what gets under my skin. I have two thoughts. One, this is where it would help tremendously to have women involved in the making of the comic, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Like I think that that is just get the perspective in the room, and I think a mm-hmm. lot of this changes. Uh, the second thing is actually I do think the men are sexualized. I know it's not the same thing, but like Spider-Man's crotch is in your face <laughs> <laughs> when Bagley draws him. <laughs> yeah, there's something interesting when like. You know, I, I've I've been able a few times, like Rose and I watch a fair amount of anime, and there's been a few times where we're watching a series, and I'm like, hmm, is this written by a woman? Because manga is, you know, just like comic books, it's a largely, like, male-written um, 
medium, right? It's still yeah. like overwhelmingly male. Uh-huh. And there are times where we're watching this and I don't know this and it's not even necessarily like, you know, a woman genre. It's not romance or whatever. Um, and I'm just like, is this written by a woman? Because you can just tell. Like, there's something a little different about this, right? Like, Full Metal Alchemist is uh, is one of the few really big action things written by a, a female writer. Yeah. And, like, you can just tell. It just has a different tone to it. Um, it you know, also, uh, what's her face? Um, Gail Simone, right? Like, love her stuff. She still has, like, very sexy women in her comics. Like, yes. And they're often drawn sexy. But you can kind of just tell there's, like, a different flavor of it, right? That does not feel quite so, like gross and leering you know i guess Uh, i i don't i think coming down on the the defense of literally any marvel comic from like 2000 to now (laughs) and saying oh it's not male gazy is a corner i don't want to be known for (laughs) yeah yeah no i know right um i just think this ultimate spider-man there's something about bendis's and bagley's tone with me where i don't I don't actually often see it and think like, oh, they're going for a sexuality here that is creepy Mm -hmm. so much as like they're going for a high school romance between high school students. And I mean, you know, this is what comes out. B is just like this is just so this is the temperature of the room so much period at this time in Marvel Comics and. I don't know about DC, but, you know, in superhero comics that this it's both. Yeah, it's just, you know, this is just how you do it this is just standard right and like everybody is incredibly attractive and wears like skin tight clothing and it doesn't matter you know context whatever um and you know i'm sure if we compare this to other stuff at the era like there there's already been that uh was it greg pock stuff that like already with electra was it greg pock or my no we haven't no not greg pock rucka written no 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 it was the uh the team up the guy who who drew electra and you said he's like known for cheesecake greg horn Um, so Greg Horn does covers that are super Horn. cheesecake. Yes, yes, yes. On, Horn. Uh, I mean, I mean, it's more not like that. Greg Porn. Like, this was right? not Greg Horn at all. Um, yeah. Anyway, let, let's move on. Um, I generally like this. It's uh, you know, it's good old consistent Bendis Bagley. I don't think this is a high point. It's not a low point. It just uh, it's pretty good. <laughs> and I like, do I do really enjoy that like issues forty to forty two are basically just Spider Man does super bad. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like it's not as funny, but it's just it's about post breakup Pete and MJ it's about them getting back together it's about them going to a high school party and most mm-hmm. importantly it's about Geldof my favorite character in the ultimate universe <laughs> I was gonna say the same thing Geldof man can we can we just like do a spin-off we're, podcast about we're a Geldof, Geldof podcast now yeah mm-hmm. incredible is this Geld and Geldof been, is, he, is he an original creation here uh to my yep. knowledge there is no yeah, Geldof is. in earth 616 I have not met him Oh, Dan Slott introduced him in Avengers The Initiative, number eight. Of course he did. What about getting off on Geldof? How do you feel about that podcast name? Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Let's do it. You know what? Sorry, everybody. This is the last episode of My Ultimate Year because we're uh, we're launching Getting Off with Geldof. Getting Off (laughs) with with Geldof? (laughs) Or Getting Off About? Around? Uh, How about on? Nah, he is a teenage boy. Just accept my language. You are are under arrest. Nope, I don't see anything wrong with anything we've talked about in the last 25 minutes. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so Geldof is this guy who Peter uh, sees at the party, and he can blow up cars by looking at him, and that's Mm -hmm. pretty cool. The, uh, the high schoolers all think this is dope, even though there is fervent anti-mutant hysteria in this world. I guess that part's a little weird, that they're like, this guy can blow things up with his mind. Amazing, as opposed to like, oh my gosh, he's a mutant, ah! Mm-hmm. Like, that yeah. doesn't happen. Um, yeah, yeah. 
nonetheless, uh, Peter, I think, does he you know has some conversations with Geldof. They wind their way to the uh, to the X Mansion in a little hey Bendis is coming on to X Men move, and uh, he meets the professor. This is where Peter meets Kitty Pride for the first time in a relationship that is going to be uh, quite well explored in uh, in the Ultimate Universe. Um, yes, I really like I like the inclusion of like Peter. Peter is such a good like audience avatar too sometimes mm-hmm. for the like wider marvel world yeah like he, he's such a fun you know viewpoint character of like you know what the x-men look like on the ground floor to like normal people he like grounds them because of his reactions to them so yeah. him getting like swept up by them is uh, is a lot of fun um yeah and so geldof is like a mutant who's like in denial about being a mutant like he does not want to be called a mutant which i mean a- again given the way the world has seen mutants and seen them labeled terrorist threats not surprising right like sure. this would this would be a scary thing to be a teenager and find out you're becoming. I, I mean, feel like the Ultimate Universe sells that very well. It's a very straight line between that and you know being gay and being afraid of coming out of being gay because it's a very yeah. scary thing. And you know, and then internalizing that into like hatred of you know, like I've had friends who have gone through that, who have you know like kind of hated anything that gives the appearance of being gay or people who like are very outwardly gay or not you know like are very uh, what's the word explicit about it i guess sure. not explicit but like outspoken about it um because you know they like have such fear themselves about uh you know like existing in a world that's so nasty about it right um so i think that's good except the fact that like the comic besides him in that point nobody has any of that empathy for him for it right like nobody really expresses like the reason he's and peter keeps calling him homophobic which is a weird detail like he can't get that right like and people keep calling him like now he's mutant phobic and he's like yeah he's homo homo homophobic and he makes that mistake several times and it's kind of an odd choice yeah um yeah um what else do we have to say about this did you Uh, what did you think of the final issue in this uh which is 45 which is the aunt may therapist session kind of dealing with like (laughs) hey all these things that are happening that are super wild uh they seem to have spider-man at the center (laughs) what do you make of this and and the i mean she keeps you know she has these like manic outbursts where she just like talks a mile a minute to uh to her therapist and like because of bagley's art often the therapist just looks like she's staring at her in like shock surprise like yeah. Oh my god, this woman's crazy. Like, yeah. which I don't know if he's trying to put across, but that's not a very good therapist. Um, I do like that Aunt May would go to a therapist. I yeah. think that's actually a really smart detail. I, I even um, like talking. She's got a wild her life. Talking about how she was resistant both when um, her sister died, like Peter's mother was yeah. killed, and when Aunt Uncle Ben died, and how she feels really weird about the thing that drove her is. Um, when Captain Stacy was killed, she finally decided to give in, and she feels like guilty about that. Like she clearly just has so much that she's working on that she is not dealing with, and they explore that in interesting ways. Where it's like she understands, you know, like Spider Man's not the threat, but she still just has this anxiety about him because he's just tied up with everything in her mind. Um, and you know, like yeah, yeah, it's a it's a very good uh, portrayal of somebody who's just like, yeah, I'm a mess right now. I know I'm a mess, and it doesn't quite make sense, but I can't help it. And, here's and I do like that Aunt May, this version, is like, she's very imperfect. She admits failings and, and admits she's not just this, like, dutiful, you know, like, doubting, um, not doubting, this dutiful aunt to Peter mm-hmm. who never yeah. has questions and never has doubts and is just always there for him. And, yes, she's on her deathbed constantly, but she would never <laughs> think, yes. think negatively of it, right? Like, this is a version where... She's like, am I doing this right? Should I be doing this, et cetera? And that feels very believable. And again, the fact that she knows at this point his deal 
I think helps a lot where she like that would create its own level of stress and uncertainty um, about what her, you know, her son essentially is going through. So, uh, yeah, that was pretty good. Um, what did you make of the one half issue? Oh, uh, I don't know. Nothing. <laughs> kind of, it's kind of like it's kind of like it's there. You can read it. Uh, it's fine. DNA I mean, two. I, I had to now. search it down on a pirating site because I couldn't find it on. Marvel I don't know Marvel. that it's in MU actually. Yeah, yeah. So don't don't. I mean, unless you're dying for it, it's like a JJJ story where the uh, the editorial board is talking about a Spider-Man story. It's fine. It kind of feels like it's treading stuff we've already talked about with like a team-up issue where Spider-Man's like, I don't always know who to punch when I jump into the middle of a fight. <laughs> yeah. And right. You know, it's complicated, but we've already been there and tread that ground. Um, Flash is trying to get Peter Parker's attention to tell him something, and Peter keeps telling him to like screw off. I um, do actually. I've said this before in in mainline Marvel, just like it's always a little weird to me how forgiving Peter is in that. And I think it's a good, it's a very good representation of Peter's character, which is important there in the ultimate universe though. Again, because we get to stick with him being 15, 16 for longer, it is also, I think very understandable that he would hear, he would see flash coming to him and saying, Hey, let's go talk outside and think, so you can bully me like you've been doing for the last 10 years. No, thanks. And lash out at him. Um, mm-hmm. So I think it, it kind of makes Peter look like a jerk because like, I mean, clearly he also is using the R word, like still slinging. Yes. And that's slurs. rough. And that's, you know what the too. thing I was thinking, I was like, I feel like you might read this and be like, well, you know, it's 2003, whatever. Like I was in high school at 2003. And even when this word was, like, a little bit more casually tossed around, like, you knew. Like, I think it's pretty obvious. You know that that's, like, a nasty word. Even when people yes. it was a little more accessible. You like, knew you were being nasty. Knows. You didn't necessarily know the, like, you were being offensive, I guess. No, I think so. I, I mean, as a teenager at the time, like, you know that word's passe. Like, or, you know, or taboo, rather. Like I guess maybe it's, like, it's used with that in mind, you know? Yeah. Like R bombs yeah. and F bombs, I would say definitely. You and yeah. I probably went to junior high and high school at a time where those were used, but they yeah. they were used cruelly. It's not like people were yeah. just like and, you know yeah. like casually like. I mean, you don't talk use to their them teachers the teacher. that way. Yeah, right. exactly. I mean, you know better. So you know, it's just a bummer. Like keeping hearing these things out of our heroes' mouths, especially. Right. Yeah, yeah, but it is. I mean, I, again, could, I do I mean, think I, I don't. To Peter is just really angry and flawed. Yes, you know, and I don't endorse the use of. The language there certainly i wish it wasn't in the comic but i do i do and actually this is something that bendis got called out on in superman very recently at dc now they think about it because he called someone autistic um there was a villain yeah. oh, who like another, used like, autistic as a as a line, cruel yeah. um insult and mm-hmm. he was called out for this very rightly so and uh and i believe it might have been fixed for the trade or something like that so yeah. you know yeah, to his credit he's a writer who learns i don't think that's something he's incapable of um but yeah the the use here is definitely it's it meant to reflect peter badly or reflect badly on peter but again it's it all this anger bubbles up when he sees flash and i do understand that i think that's very viable um mm-hmm. so I, I do kind of think that works yep um yeah yeah peter parker spider-man good guy like him <laughs> like our, oh, I, I really that's like how the we end these podcasts yeah i really like the uh, good guys and bad guys i really like the uh the running joke here of just like his costume is busted and so he keeps showing up in these really shoddy costumes yeah, yeah and, you good. know bad guys are like bad guys are more uh likely just to take a swing at him because they think he's not the real deal yeah um, and then he even goes to the x mansion wearing like a spider-man t-shirt and a mask and like khaki pants 
Right. <laughs> Which is very right. good. Um, it is. And then lets lets out his own secret identity. Like they take his mask off to check to make sure he's okay after the uh the plane explodes. And he's just like, God, why does everyone know I'm Peter Parker? And they're like, Well, we didn't know you were Peter Parker. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's good. That definitely mirrors uh the everybody's favorite Justice League Unlimited moment where Lex Luthor and Flash switch bodies. And Lex Luthor uh looks in the mirror and says, oh, I can figure out the Flash's secret identity. And he takes off the mask. And then he says, <laughs> I have no I idea, have who, no this idea is. who this is. <laughs> Which is good. <laughs> but Peter gives it away in a in a classic Peter Parker fashion. All right. Yep. Next time on My Ultimate Year, we are going to talk a whole lot of Ultimate Spider-Man, including the Ultimate 6 uh, spinoff, I guess, event. Seven-issue event. It is yeah. the Ultimate Sinister 6 it's a big one. It's important. And then we're going to talk about the second volume of Ultimate Fantastic Four, which, if memory serves, is written by Warren Ellis in his Ultimate oh, Universe it, debut. Yeah, I think that's where he's coming in in a second. Let me, let me look up. Yeah. Okay, you do, you do some admin while I look that up. My Ultimate Year is brought to you by ComicBookHerald.com. If you want to find a full Ultimate Universe reading order, you can go on over to CBH and enjoy the content that I have put up there. I'm Dave. I'm the founder and editor-in-chief of ComicBookHerald.com. He's Zach. You can find him online at my marvel this year just about anywhere and as always if you want to check out the uh, full marvel this year podcast you can check out my for some details there support for the show thank you to everybody who has done so you can find at patreon.com slash my year again rating and reviewing on itunes helps an awful lot uh for either my ultimate year or my marvelous year so thank you to those who have done so and if you would consider doing so yourself we greatly appreciate it zach what do you got for us it was Warren Ellis all along, folks. Nailed it. Yep. Nailed it, baby. Yeah, all right, who's music you, Who's music by? I always forget. Music was... Music for our, My Ultimate Year is by by yeah. Divine Right. Yep. Yeah? God, yes. The music was... How, do, how can we say that? Music saying? Music for My Ultimate Year... Music from by Divine Right. Music? That's better. You're right. Yeah. You're right. And I only you're, took you're seven by divine right. iterations of the show to figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> to stop saying, bye-bye, Divine Right. We are so witty and uh, quick on our feet thanks everybody for listening and as always we'll sign off differently uh uh swing uh sling swing you low swing swing, swing for the low. fences sluggers <laughs> swing low sweet chariot that's how we end it swing low I got a tissue. I got a tissue.